This is the 40th episode of the Mining Your Business podcast, a show all about process mining, data science, and advanced business analytics. You know, we've done a lot of things in the previous 39 episodes, but you know what we've never done? Being a CEO of a company and being acquired by Microsoft. <laughs> Luckily, our guest has done just that. James Denning, former CEO of Minit, now partner at Microsoft, is here to tell us all about Minit and the recent acquisition by Microsoft. Let's get into it. When I was younger and read about these major tech acquisitions, I thought to myself, oh, wow, this tech world, this is just crazy. I wonder how it works behind the curtains. Um, little did I know that I would have an amazing opportunity to discuss all of this with uh, a CEO of such a company. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the 40th episode of Patrick, 40th episode, that's crazy. <laughs> that is pretty crazy. Uh, 40th episode of Mining Your Business podcast, uh, the only podcast focused on process mining out there. Um, and joining us today is now a partner at Microsoft, uh, former CEO of uh, Mining Process Mining, James Denning. James, welcome to our show. We are super excited to have you on. Guys, uh, lovely to be here. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, James, is it true that once you get acquired by a major tech company, you can basically chill on the beach in the Caribbean, sipping on a cocktail with a cherry on top and enjoying your life for the rest of, you know, rest of the days? <laughs> so I'm sat here in East Anglia, about 10 miles north of Cambridge in the UK, and I don't... <laughs> I'm looking out across uh, wheat fields rather than a beach. Uh, <laughs> and, and I've checked my office and nobody in my family seems to have bought me any sort of cocktail this morning. Uh, so no, um, uh, I, can, I can very honestly say that the, uh, it's a different sort of fast. But uh, yeah, it's not, you, you're not sat back on a beach, certainly not working for one of the, uh, you know, a company like Microsoft. Microsoft, obviously, hugely well-known company, you know, one of the, in my opinion, one of the great, tech companies we've all used microsoft products i've been using them for crikey decades yeah. uh, since i started as a software engineer and even before that um there is that that customer centric attitude that, that i think companies like microsoft enjoy uh that takes work uh it takes hard work so no 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 cocktails on the beach for me just yet <laughs> Not to mention that if we're still talking about cocktails in UK, we'd probably uh, set up or you know settle for a pint of beer. So <laughs> yeah, oh, and, and I'll I'll happily settle for a pint of beer. <laughs> <laughs> that makes two of us. Um, anyway, James, uh, we will definitely talk more into the acquisition because uh, this is something that we haven't discussed on the show yet. And frankly, this is just an amazing opportunity for both us, uh, but also our listeners to to dive dive uh, into this a little more. Uh, but first things first, um, how did you get into process mining? I mean, your, your journey is pretty, uh, you know, you worked in Automation Anywhere, H2O AI, and now uh, CEO of Mineit. Um, how did you get there? So I've, I've, always, I've always been interested in how businesses work, you know, in that whole process piece. And I remember when I, when I moved from being, you know, I started as a software engineer. Um, for the simple reason, I had a, I had a degree in computer science. Uh, I loved writing software. I, you know, I, I hung out in the uh, computer room at school for for many years. Uh, I started writing software when I was kind of I, I was part of that Sinclair ZX eighty one Spectrum BBC Model B generation. And I think if you talk to anyone, you know, I'm fifty one years old. If you talk to anyone my age in the UK who's in technology, they will recount the same kind of technological journey of you know through the different personal computers and when i moved from being a software engineer to to being more of a into more of a management and leadership role i was fascinated by the uh the, the science of of how businesses worked how did those processes work and i found that there was a whole field of process design and process management uh, and i've always been interested in how the universe works. My first degree was in physics because I, I was interested in how what happens when you flick a light switch. You know, what where do electrons go to, and how's the what are the building blocks of the universe? And software was the same. <clears throat> you know, if you look at something that we take for granted now, you swipe, uh, you know, something on an iPhone screen. That background of software to me kind of opened up all of the things that happen when you do that. That you know, the layer upon layer upon layer of code and libraries and all those things down to some of the fundamentals of you know we're going to add these two numbers together and compare them and if it's zero we jump to a to a different you know point in the uh, in our executable code base um and i got the opportunity back about six years ago 
to go to Automation Anywhere. And Automation Anywhere was all about processes. And before yeah. that, I'd been in various sales roles. But Automation Anywhere, for me, was a bit of an eye-opener. I, I stood outside King's Cross Station uh, for about two hours, two and a quarter hours, for having my first phone call with a guy called Mark Fletcher, that, that was the guy who, who hired me and I worked for for many years, still a really good friend of mine. And we talked about RPA. And to me, RPA, it was just such an obvious solution that was going to go big because I looked at my job. I was a sales and marketing director at a telecoms company. And I looked at my job and kind of went, well, I could automate that and all of that bit, a bit of that, mm, probably none of that, but all some of that bit. And I looked at my job and all the things, you know, the bits of the business that, that I had reporting into me and thought, wow, there's so much opportunity there. So for me, it was the bridge of being interested in processes and being interested in designing processes and then going to a, into a company where we had a product that was, you know, RPA, automation, that was directly related to those processes. So that was the first kind of step on the journey into actually being a, a vendor in that process mm -hmm. insights, that process mining world. Right, right. So I'm imagining that when you saw the process mining, the process explorer, the entire graph and stuff, your mind went immediately to, well, how does that work? How do we go from, from just random data into this graph of a process of spanning millions and millions of cases with activities and things like that, right? Yeah, I, I think you know, automation is one approach to improving your processes. You know, fundamentally, if you have a process, what you care about, what you care about as somebody in the business is how do I get the best outcomes to that process for the least cost? And I use cost in a very loose sense, you know, people, time, money. So, and there are two ways to do that, really. A, you can find a way of decreasing the, the cost it takes to, to operate that process, or you can make the process more efficient. Automation is very much about, you know, throw, throw cheaper resource, uh, and I'm generalizing a lot here, I appreciate, but, you know, throw cheaper resource at the product, at the, at the process, uh, and you'll get, you know, hopefully just as good outcomes, but for a fraction of the cost of if you have people operating it. If you go to a management consultancy and say, we've got a process, they'll, you, they'll charge you lots of money, but, you know, hopefully they'll say, well, here's a way to make that, that process more efficient. But something that, occurred to me a, a, a while back is we're operating slightly in the dark you know mm -hmm. we we kind of have our suspicions about how well processes are working but we we haven't really got to a point yet and this is where process mining comes in where we really understand right. um the reality of how well that process is working we often understand the theory we'll go and do you know some process analysis we'll get consultants in we'll do some task mining and, and we know the theory of how that process is meant to work but in my experience it's not the 80 or 90 or 95 percent of the time that a process you know an instance of the process that you start it's not that 90 percent of the time that it goes through the happy path that causes you problems it's the 10 percent or five percent or one percent whatever where it goes through a slightly weird path that you may not have predicted and you may not even know about, that's where the problems come in. That's where you get those outliers, and it's the outliers. I mean, we, we talk about the 80-20 rule. It's mm. the 20% of outliers <laughs> that cause you 80% of the problems. Maybe yeah. it's the 99-1 rule for processes. But the advantage of instrumenting your processes, and this is for me the, the heart of the whole thing, is it gives you insight into the reality of how well any specific process is working and that's really important because only if you understand that can you decide do we need to throw automation at it do we need to fundamentally re-engineer that process or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is it fine can we leave it alone and go and focus our time and money and attention on on something mm -hmm. else so um if you Imagine the the promises of, of process mining, savings in, in X amount of millions and efficiency, making your process so much more efficient. Um, do you think process mining is delivering on these promises? Uh, I think it's starting to, yeah. Um, you know, there are use cases that, that I've seen, you know, real customers that I've seen where people have had uh, very big chunks of their business and they've used process mining to guide them into the best way to improve or optimize those processes. And they have seen millions or tens of million dollars of improvement. You know, big businesses churn out lots and lots of output. You know, they, they, there are big numbers floating around. You know, mm. you, you have, we have billion dollar businesses. They turn over billions or tens of billions of dollars. Um, you know, product comes in or you know, supplies come in, material comes in, product goes out. You don't need to find 
a huge amount in percentage terms in way of optimization on the process for that to make you know a huge difference if you're I don't know, BMW, you know, and you're, you've got 20,000 invoices a week. If you can improve your, or, you know, 20,000 um, orders being placed on your week by dealers, by whatever, if you can improve your ordered cash by a couple of days, that has a massive uh, financial effect on the business. So, no, I think given the, the times we live in now where businesses need to be uh, uh, more efficient to, to survive and thrive, I think process mining is absolutely delivering on 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 bringing out that reality to us. And, and remember, process mining itself gives you insight into what's happening. The really important bit, the only important bit, is how that insight is then used to deliver a better business outcome. And it's something we've, you know, I wrote down some some tenets the other day, and one of the core tenets is insight is not enough. You must have actionable, you know, there, there must be action, there must be an outcome mm-hmm. tied mm-hmm. to those insights. Without that, what's the point? Right. Um, so, James, um, what did really, uh, what did your experience bring on the table when you became a CEO of Mindit? Because I, I find it fascinating that uh, the, the vision that you already had, that you brought in, uh, you know, working in automation anywhere and seeing the processes from, I would say, a little different perspective. And then you basically come in and become this uh, CEO of, uh, of, of process mining, uh, of, of process mining vendor company. Um, first of all, how did it happen? And second of all, um, what did you bring on the table specifically? So how it happened is, is quite a good story. I had a really good guy working for me at Automation Anywhere called Martin Afton. Um, uh, Martin, yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. He's a good friend. He was running our, our partner business back then. And he came to me, uh, or one of his, I think it was Martin and one of his team came to me a while back and said, hey, have you heard of this company called Mineit? And I went, no. And he goes, listen, they're process mining. You know, they're, they're small at the moment, they're, but the product's fantastic. And they're really going places. And, um, and, I, and I, you know, keep an eye on them. And I thought, okay, so that's, that's a good steer. And a year later or, or a year and a half later, um, I, I was just starting to think about leaving Automation Center. I'd been there for four years. We'd yeah. kind of built the, the EMEA operation up in, you know, I, the, I was one of the, the first couple of people on the ground. There's always a bit of a pub argument, whether it's me or, or my friend Arno with, with the very first person. <laughs> but um, we'd built this business up into something quite significant. You know, we had a few hundred staff. And I've been there for four years, you know, fully vested, um, you know, all that good stuff and, and kind of, you know, done everything I was going to do in Europe, didn't, wasn't particularly interested in moving to the US. And, uh, and I contacted mine. I thought that, that was really interesting. And I, and they just hired a new CRO. And I went, ah, okay. I've, I've missed the, missed the boat a bit here. <laughs> and, um, so I went, uh, I did something else. I joined H2O, you know, great company, um, uh, you know, inspirational CEO there. Uh, but about eight months into that, I got a call from, uh, from headhunter saying, um, you know, would you be interested in working mine it? And I said, well, they've, they've just filled the CRO position. They said, well, no, we were looking at maybe you coming in as CEO. And I kind of went, Oh, um, you know, <laughs> super. Um, <clears throat> and I, I hadn't really got to that point in my career where I was actively looking for CEO roles. You know, it, it was always something I, I knew I was going to want to do at some point. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't think I was quite there yet. But I had a think, and I thought, listen, you know, with the atmosphere that we had at this 18 months ago, you know, being offered a job as the CEO of a tech company was like being offered a job as a premiership footballer. You know, this was an amazing <laughs> opportunity. Um, uh, so I, you know, I went and talked to them. I met the investors, met the founder, uh, Rasto Klavak. He's, you know, great guy, yeah. you know, really visionary. Felt I could work with him. It was one of my key aims was to make sure that he stayed in the company. And, and he mm-hmm. does. He still, he still reports into me now at Microsoft. Um, and thought, you know what? It, it's, it's a great space. I really, you know, process mining felt like where we'd been five years previously in, in, in software automation in RPA, mm-hmm. that it was right on the cusp of becoming a major category. It would deliver really, really cool outcomes for businesses. Why wouldn't I want to do it? Uh, and so, with regret, I said goodbye to H two O and uh, and I joined Minet. Right. Um, what were your goals coming into this position? Because first of all, uh, I guess it's nobody really prepares you for a position of a CEO. It's not like you're learning this in school. It's usually come with a lot of experience. You you kind of have to have this vision what you want to achieve. Did you come to the company and were thinking? Well, let's you know, let's let's build it up in a way that uh, somebody bigger eventually comes in and buys us in. Or how did you 
uh, formulate this idea in your head that, uh, well, what were you bringing there? What, what, what did you want to achieve once you were there as a CEO? So it's a great question. I, in some ways, there wasn't a specific tangible uh, goal about being acquired right. or, or going to IPO or whatever. I, I wanted to build the company. I remember the phrase I used. I wanted to build the company into something significant. You know, however you measure that, ARR is the obvious kind of measure because that's you know what what gets you to to an exit. Um, I wanted to run a company well. You know, I wanted to kind of be an enlightened <laughs> CEO and be very collegiate. A lot of stuff I learned in my Amazon days. I wanted to take some of the great stuff I'd learned um, from from previous leaders of mine. You know how we. Uh, uh, did hypergrowth automation anyway was something I wanted to take to the table. I learned a lot from Mark Fletcher, you know, about how to do that, how to build business structures and sales structures to do that really well. There was some soft skills I learned about team building that I really wanted to kind of bring from my time at previous employers. Mm-hmm. There were some things I'd seen from previous leaders I didn't want to to bring along. There were yeah. you know, things where I thought, no, I don't think I like that. I don't think I, I want to do it like that. So I wanted to kind of be a really good CEO. It sounds silly, but <laughs> I wanted to kind of, be somebody that people would want to go back and work for. I wanted to grow the company. If there was any tangible financial goal, it was I wanted to be a unicorn. Yeah, I wanted to get us to a to a yeah. billion dollar valuation. But it but it was just that feeling of of doing something significant. So what did I bring? I think I brought the experience of how to grow uh, an enterprise software business very rapidly. You know, mm-hmm. I won't disclose the numbers, but we grew automation anyway. In the first three, four years, it was going like wildfire. You know, we were just yeah. chunk, 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 you know, forget this kind of 20%, 40%, you know, growth a year. It was way bigger than that. And Amazon as well. I used to work for Amazon. Amazon as a massive company was growing at 40% a year, <sighs> um, which might not sound like a huge number, but that means you're doubling in size every two years. I remember having a great conversation with a guy called Alan Lyle. I think he's now Wave, like head of uh, logistics for Wayfair. Um, and, and we were talking over a beer in the garden in Luxembourg. And, <laughs> and he said, the implica- you realize the implication of that, James, is right now I've got, well, whatever, 90 fulfillment centers in Europe. The implication of that is in the next two years, I need to build another 90 fulfillment centers. So that's like one a week. <laughs> and when you look at it like that, you kind of go, hey, crap. Yeah, that's a really big, oh that's a big hill to climb. He was, he was a very smart guy. He figured that out. But I think what I brought was, yeah, that ability to drive revenue. I think there was a lot of stuff about the, the science behind leadership and bringing, uh, bringing all of those experiences uh, into the company. I did, I did a fair amount of preparation. Uh, I talked to other CEOs. Uh, the specific situation there of a new CEO being brought in to uh, uh, replace a founder CEO and that founder yeah. CEO being in the business, there was an obvious failure mode there. There was an almost failure point there. And I talked to uh, a couple of guys I knew who had been in that situation. Um, I got some great advice from uh, some people, some senior leads I really respected. Uh, Wade Burgess used a bit of automation anywhere, was really good. Uh, Mihir Shukla, my CEO of Automation Anywhere, was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Charles Woodburn, who's the CEO of uh, British Aerospace. Uh, we went to school together. We're, we're really good friends. And <laughs> um, yeah, Charlie gave me some great advice. Uh, he said, James, three things. You know, Get the best people you possibly can, reward them as well as you possibly can, and then just stay the hell out of their way. And, that, and that's always <laughs> kind of stuck with me, that you know, get great people and remove the obstacles from their path. Enable them genuinely create a culture of, of empowerment rather than seek to, to manage them. And that makes total sense to me. If I'm hiring somebody to lead marketing or HR or sales or product, they should almost by definition be better than me at that job. Yeah. They should be an expert in that job. So my goal needs to be to get the right people in the building, make sure those people give them the atmosphere and the culture. Remember, culture eats strategy for breakfast, yeah? Give them that environment where they can thrive and do their best work and remove obstacles from their way and then do the stuff that only CEOs can do make sure there's enough money in the bank you know deal with investors all that stuff set the big goals but fundamentally i want that culture of empowerment uh, and i think i succeeded that's great i mean it's it's really interesting to hear that journey from just a uh, being a software engineer to climbing to going to through the the ringer of all these different jobs getting the exposure and all these things and now being the the ceo of mined 
Um, what do you think are some of the key qualities that you need to have to do that job as a CEO? And do you think your experience in software engineering kind of played a key part in that or not at all? I think the key qualities are the main one, and I think many people struggle with this, and I think I've certainly struggled with this in the past. One of them is humility. You know, you, you don't want to be, if, you know, the old adage of if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Um, I think a great CEO gets the best out of the people around them and they're comfortable with other people being better, brighter, sharper, whatever, you know, access you want to measure it on. They're comfortable with people um, exceeding them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I probably struggled with that, you know, maybe in my 20s and 30s, you know, and I'm sure people <laughs> who knew me back then will be listening to this and putting <laughs> rise while saying, James, you weren't, the, you weren't the humblest, almost modest of people that way. Um, and I think that's that's probably very true. But I think as you, if you want to make that breakthrough to, you know, being a CEO, to, you know, to being a senior leader, you, you need to find the best people in, and, and preferably those people are better than you. Uh, there were a few key moments in my career um, that helped with that. The first one was, uh, well, a couple of them were at Amazon. So Amazon, you know, great company, really well managed, but, you know, bit of a meat grinder, you know, it's, it's a hard <laughs> place to work. But th- th- there are some things I think they do very well. Um, hiring, I remember somebody saying to me, whenever you hire somebody, you should be looking to hire somebody who can teach you something. You know, grade A managers hire grade A staff. Grade B managers hire grade C staff. And I've seen that in my career. I've seen people scared to hire somebody who was a brighter star than they were because, you know, because job security. You know, they didn't want to be eclipsed by people working with them. I've never really had that maybe innate confidence. I've never had that problem. You know, I have people work for me. You know, I mentioned Rasto earlier. Rasto is brilliant. You know, he founded the company, man. He had all yeah. these great ideas. And he did that hard bit of taking it from an idea to actually being a real company with real staff and revenue yeah. and all that stuff. I haven't done that. Well, I have, but in a much smaller way. Um, but that that's great. I've got uh, my um, head of operations, uh, and I'm going to give her a call out because it'll make her, her blush, Zuzana Vanchova, um, super smart. <laughs> Cleverer than me, um, uh, yeah, one of the sharpest people I've ever met, um, and and having people of that caliber work for you is a massive boon. You know, you, you, I couldn't do what I do. I couldn't lead a business and now leading it within Microsoft without those astonishing people. So the the first learning is be comfortable with people who are better than you and brighter than you working for you. Yeah, I think that's a really big thing. The second thing is. Um, Think about what the best thing you can do in any given situation around empowering the people around you. Um, if I'm in a meeting, I try hard. I think, again, going back 20 years, I found it very easy to uh, dominate meetings. You know, I'm quite big. Yeah, physically, I'm a big guy. I'm a you know, former rugby player. Uh, I'm, I'm quite loud. I, I'm quite passionate about, you know, what I speak about. Um, you know, I have lots of ideas. And it's very easy to to let someone like me with those characteristics dominate a meeting. So being able to kind of manage a bit more from behind, being able to retreat into the the background and let other people get some space in the room and to empower them to talk and have their ideas. And maybe the best thing for me to do in a meeting might be just go, go make coffee for everybody because the, <laughs> the bright people are speaking. I think that's the other big learning. Make sure there are room for other people to to bring their best to the table. And again, that is about creating that culture of of empowerment um i'll give you one last one um th- th- be, be a decent person you know there there is uh i remember being asked by my uh, i think she was about 10 years old she's now 18 uh, my younger daughter katie i remember her saying to me you know when she was young did you do good things at work today and i was able to look her in the eye and say yeah yeah i did so i think having a certain m- having a strong moral compass being a decent person I think that's so important and in some ways that overrides any uh, aims or thoughts or considerations you should have about profit and personal success and, 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 and. Uh, I think we all have a, an innate responsibility to be, you know, good people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, I love what I'm hearing, uh, Patrick. I think we've got a lot to learn from from, from James <laughs> over here. <laughs> uh, being the smartest person in the room, I think uh, that goes a long way for both of us. Um, James, uh, you already mentioned it, and this, I also found it very intriguing to discuss a little bit. Um, how was this exchange of, uh, let's say, the the the, the reign of the company? Because you know, you basically replaced uh, a founder CEO. Uh, and and became a new CEO. Was there ever a moment of friction, or how does this cooperation go? How did you even work together and brought ideas together and agreed on the future, um, future heading and future of the company? Really, it 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 was really interesting. It it was a really big worry for me, and you know, Rasto, really, yeah, really sharp guy, had built up the company, um. And the investors made it clear that I was in charge. Yeah, there was no, you must keep, yeah, they were, they were quite brutal in some ways about saying, listen, whatever you need to succeed, hey, they're investors, you know, that's what they want is, is success. But, uh, I wrote down my kind of four key aims for what I wanted to achieve in the first year with, with, with Minit. And one of them was keep Rasto in the building. Um, for for very selfish reasons, he's really bright. You know, he knows where all the bodies are buried. He knows the industry really well. He's a we- really well regarded industry spokesman. He still handles all, handles all our analyst mm-hmm. relations. You know, um, it, 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 he was such a great asset that I remember thinking, I have to keep this guy. You know, that your success as a leader is is the team you have uh, around you, and I have to keep this guy. And honestly. We've had a really harmonious relationship from day one. You know, when I first met him, uh, we just got on really well. And throughout our time, there was jet. And I honestly, I can think of one moment of friction, which was in the acquisition process. Um, uh, there were some personal terms, and and I was a bit knackered and a bit crouchy at this point after you know five months of of being sat in the room with lawyers. And there was one point where I said, "Oh, Rasto, just sign it." You know, <laughs> just God, sign the thing. You know. Um, uh, uh, but genuinely, in all the time, you know, in the eighty months we've been, you know, worked together, that's the only, literally, the only moment of friction. And I put that down almost entirely to Rasto. You know, it takes an enormous amount of um, humility and, I suppose, what's the what's the right word? You know, personal strength to. Not only you know step sideways, step down from being the CEO, but to stay in the business, report to the new CEO, bring him your A game every day, yeah. publicly support him, and he did that nonstop. Uh, and for that, I am Resto. If you ever listen to this, thank you, mate. Jakujem. Um, <laughs> so a very small amount of uh, of Slovakian I can speak. Uh, it was quite astonishing. I, I talked last night to one of our investors, and he said. Yeah, tell me about how how did you Rasto do that? I said honestly, it was it was it was Rasto. It's easy for me to be magnanimous. Yeah, I'm the new CEO. <laughs> it's much harder for for him to 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 you know give me all that support. Not only putting his best foot forward in terms of mm-hmm. the output, but doing it with a good grace and doing it with a smile on his face uh, and as a friend. So you know, you talk about people you make you know making friends for life. You know, Rasto and I, we got there very quickly and I, and i'm deeply deeply uh, uh grateful to him mm-hmm. so james uh at what point well, let's say that you are now the ceo of the company uh at what point did it start was this, uh, there this idea on the horizon that uh, there could be this acquisition where you brought in and there were already talks about that or no, did it come no. up later on when you not when you all. entered not at all not at all it's um you know we always knew there would be an exit at some point you know we weren't just going to kind of carry on and yeah we had investors yeah at some point investors want that investment to to be crystallized you know and and you know those those funds have a limited lifespan so there's probably i think if you put me on the spot back then i would have said i don't know four years you know and we Mm -hmm. you know we we you know we we need to get to where we're going to get to in in three four five years and there'll be an exit of some sort but there absolutely wasn't a um you know, right? What? How, how quickly can we, can we exit this company? So, no, there was never, there was never that plan. Um, we had some inbound interest uh, that we said no to from various places. We were, yeah, you know, we had a plan. You know, we had funding. We knew where we were going. We were confident in our our business. Um, 
Uh, and it took, you know, it, it took a company of the caliber of, of Microsoft to to come in and uh, make a serious offer that that mm-hmm. you know got our attention. Now, is the the choice of um, the the company that buys you is obviously an important choice. Um, did you have some sort of idea who you would like to sell to? Did you have some sort of preferred list, or did you, as soon as Microsoft came through the door, knock down the door and said, "Hey, we're interested," you started listening immediately, or? What did that actually look like? How did that initial um, contact come about? Um, so we'd always had we'd had contact with Microsoft for years. I think just through personal, you know, uh, personal relationships. But there was no there was no list. You know, there was mm-hmm. no kind of. I mean, if you'd asked me, I probably could have you know said, well, you know, it's this sort of company. <laughs> and we had I probably had in my mind who the likely candidates were based around the space we were operating in, the yeah. size of those companies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but no, there was there was there was no list. Um, on on a but slightly amusingly, I remember talking to to Yaro Zubak. Um, you know when this all happened, and he said, "You know, it's it's probably good. it's it's a slightly funny story." I remember thinking like years ago, from an engineering point of view, if we were ever going to be acquired, I'd love it to be Microsoft. That would be like my <laughs> personal my life's work complete because this is the greatest software company. In the history of the world, wouldn't it be amazing if that code base and that IP that me and my team have developed, if it became part of Microsoft, that'd be a real wow moment. So, uh, you know, so there you go, Yarrow. I'm glad we managed to uh, tick that life achievement for you. But no, there was never a list. It, you know, things just happened. Now, James, how does such an acquisition look like? Do you just meet in a bar uh, over the pint of beer and uh, the guy from Microsoft just writes uh, a sum of money on the paper, he just hands it over to you and you're like, all <laughs> um, right, you get a deal. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll be a little bit coy. You know, we, uh, you know, speaking as a, uh, as a partner in Microsoft, we don't discuss you know, our acquisitions. Right. Um, but it's, it's, I won't tell you about the process, but it, the process is, uh, far stranger in some ways and far more mundane in other ways than you can yeah. possibly imagine. You know, you, you come out of it kind of going, wow, I, you know, I certainly learned an enormous amount. I mean, the, the whole process goes on for months. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you look at really big acquisitions, they've gone for years, you know, of due diligence and regulatory inquiries and whatever. Um, I've never done anything like it. Um, there was stuff you learned, just stuff you go, really? Is that a thing? Um the whole mechanics fit and the legal process mm-hmm. and how uh, definitive agreements, you know, the stock purchase agreements work and, and warranties and all this stuff. Yeah. And until you've actually done it, you kind of don't know this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was really hard. Uh, I'll, I'll be clear about that. It, it was because as the CEO, you're in the middle of all of this and you're essentially negotiating between not just Kind of your you and and Microsoft in this case, but you've got all your different sellers, all the different funds. And whilst yeah, you know, we had three major investors, we had a lot more minor investors. They mm-hmm. all have you know, and some of our minor investors were really big big investment funds. And they all have teams of lawyers, so you're kind of negotiating a fifteen way uh, <laughs> uh, a- agreement. Plus, you've got you know due diligence, which is is massive. You know, you, you you're literally turning out every single document that's ever passed through the company everyone is everywhere all of this stuff yeah and this isn't microsoft specific this is in general so it's a really hard process and at the same time you're trying to keep the business running yeah um i think the last 17 days we were working 20 21 hour days oh, 17 days around by we i mean me my coo uh, right. and the lawyers so it's a really hard process but it's really interesting and you learn a lot you know, it's just stuff that I don't think you'll ever learn unless you've actually been been through it and done it. So I look back at it for the first month. I didn't want to look back at it at all. It was ghastly. <laughs> you know, I came out slightly, you know, more than slightly bruised. But I look back now and go, wow, that was a really interesting learning experience. Um, what is happening inside of the company that is being acquired? Why this is all going on? How does the the, the general wipes around the office are around this? Uh, how do you even prepare the company for that? And what is happening on the ongoing basis, on let's say the the day to day basis in such a company when you are um, uh, expecting to be acquired, like within a couple of weeks or months? So, the, the, so the weird thing is, there's no changes because you, you don't you, you keep it quiet. You know, it, it's if you're being acquired by a large company, keeping it secret is is absolutely paramount. Because mm-hmm. if news gets out, 
um, you know, for any publicly, so this isn't just my, any publicly traded company, um, you have to be very careful about anything that might influence stock price, you know, share price, mm-hmm. because you've got, you know, tens, hundreds, you know, of millions of dollars at stake and regulators take a very dim view. So you keep it completely confidential until really right at the last minute because you don't want the news to leak out to the market. So in so, so it's a bit of a weird situation because you've got a few of us who are literally like, you're not going to see me now for four months, you know, and so <laughs> you're trying to kind of keep the shit going. But it's very ob- it becomes obvious, I think, after a while that something is happening. And, you know, that's something um, for us. It was we, we had a fairly obvious cover story of look, we're looking to raise investment and there's a huge amount of very similar work. Um, but but yeah, you know, you you've got a lot of paddling beneath the surface from a few people a very small team my leadership team knew after a while and we actually did a really good job i'm very proud team we did keep the whole thing um Mm -hmm. uh you know pretty quiet we had you know a protocol for if the news got out we never had to invoke it uh but but yeah you you don't it's not something you publicize within the company you 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 can't i mean i think a for the reasons i've talked about about you know regulatory compliance and and you know especially u.s companies um but also you don't want people to stop doing their day job you don't want people to go oh you know we're gonna get quiet i can take it easy for a few months and you also don't want supposing the acquisition breaks supposing it fails you don't want people to go ah no no you know we haven't been acquired and now we need to kind of you know carry on because (laughs) you know people have stock options you know there is you know uh, there are implications for people in defense of an acquisition so you don't want to uh, build up people's hopes and then have a risk of of dashing them. I think that that again goes back to that you've got to be a, a decent person. Yeah, and I think also just um, having that um, having being at home, you know, being stuck at home, you know, working from home is probably easier to hide such an acquisition if no one sees that you're spending twenty three, twenty two hours at the office, you know, in a team with lawyers in in some meeting room, right? Totally. I'm assuming that's a, a lot easier. Now, um, I wanted to know, I, there's always talks about uh, bigger companies coming in, and then there's always a talk of how much control and a strategic focus that new company then has in the direction in which um, the, the company that's being bought is, is going. And I kind of wanted to ask, like, it, is there now a big influence there, or is it more like, a, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, you're doing great, and you're just part of the new company now, everyone gets... Microsoft badges now instead of minded badges, and how does that new relationship look? <laughs> so, so I'll, again, I'll be a little bit coy. I don't want to give away. Oh, of you course, know, of we're, we're, you know, we 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 have a plan. We have several mm-hmm. plans. We have many plans. You know, and I'll, I won't elaborate on, on what those are. But I I think the answer is, um, the answer is is you know somewhere in the middle. It, it's certainly not a here you are now off you go and just carry on doing exactly that. You know, we are now part of a wider software ecosystem um microsoft has some very strong ip around the whole process in mm-hmm. process insights business um i think the exciting thing for our customers and i do view all this stuff through that prism of what can we bring to our customer base there are some obvious brilliant brilliant synergies between what we have around you know power bi and the power platform remember microsoft um uh, you know acquired uh, an RPA company, so we have Power Automate, you know now, and I think process mining fits very, very well into that ecosystem of of the other, you know, power products. Yeah. Um, the aim for us is always to bring you know delight to our customers. So having us continue as a completely standalone product ad infinitum, you know, I think is is fairly obviously not an option. I think as you you'll see over the next. You know, over the the months and years, you'll see our roadmap come out around mm-hmm. of how power, uh, how process mining integrates into those other very successful uh, and very good Microsoft technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm going to ask you uh, if you could still unhide at least just a little sample or a little like uh, a drop of uh, where could you even incorporate this technology into? Because, you know, all we know are usually business processes. We work with process mining in business processes and so on and so forth. But seeing Microsoft stepping in, I could also see some other areas where process mining might not have been as prominent just yet. But the ideas, the way that the data are being processed and the, the, the way that you're working with it could be interesting. And again, uh, if you can share anything, any just a small sample of what is going uh, to be happening I would love to hear it. 
So I think it's probably an elaboration on on what I've said. You know, yeah. if you as you understand your business better, um, so we use process mining, we use instrumentation to let you understand how well your process is working. I think it tees up your use of those other technologies. You know, so for example, you know, take Power Automate. You know, great automation technology. Um, you can apply it to you know all sorts of different processes around finance, yeah, around logistics, uh, you know, HR, mm-hmm. you know, IT automation is yeah. And this was my life at Automation Anywhere. Automation gives you a huge uh, wealth of potential. Yeah, there's a huge wealth of potential processes in a business you can automate. Process mining can serve as a as a searchlight for that. You know, yeah. can can indicate where are those amazing automation candidates. You know, where should you be investing your 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 time and effort around technologies like power automate within your business so for me there's one obvious thing there how do we use process mining you know microsoft process mining to guide businesses into where they can they get the best out of their power automate deployments Mm -hmm. now james uh if we look into the current process mining market it's very interesting and we are basically witnessing a lot of acquisition over the last couple of years one Absolutely, of the first yes. ones we've seen uh, Process Gold from Eric and van der Linden, who interestingly also had on our podcast uh, already, you know, uh, 20, 20 episodes ago. Uh, they were acquired by UiPath. We saw yep. sub buying Signavio, uh, now Minit uh, bought by Microsoft, my Invino bought by IBM. And I could go on because there's just so many things that are happening in the market. Um, could you find any silver lining or, or on, on when the market currently is? And especially, and more importantly, where is it heading and how are these strategic um, acquisitions impacting the market? So it, it's a really good point. And, and we've, you know, we've seen this. We've seen you know, process mining and, to maybe a lesser extent, task mining businesses being snapped up. Um, customers don't just want process mining. That's the, the, you know, that as an underpinning, I, I think, is a fundamental thing. Customers want lots of things, Yeah. yeah. The, the statement of record systems that we're talking about here, that the, 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 the main repositories and executable platforms for process within business, we're talking ERP platforms, CRM platforms. What customers want is they want that soup to nuts ability to understand and improve their processes. So really what a customer wants is they want an ERP platform. Yeah, they want process mining to, to show them how well that's working. They want automation technologies to be able to you know automate the bits that that they need to automate you know and 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 yeah they need orchestration technologies to maybe make sure all those processes are working in lockstep across their business so there is that big move by the big vendors to be able to offer more of that complete ecosystem um than you could if you were just you know just offering process mining you know or just offering automation so you know UiPath buying buying process gold you know for me there's a fairly obvious move i think they're still missing a few pieces but mm-hmm. ibm uh you know automation anywhere you know i've just made a, a small acquisition um that move to having big companies being able to offer erp or crm plus process mining plus automation plus orchestration i think is is a good thing for customers um, and and that's exactly you know where we're going. I think Microsoft, in many ways, has actually a bit of a bit of an advantage in the market because we have all of that stuff plus more. You know, we've got the uh, we've got Dynamics, we've got the Power Platform, we've got Power Automate, and I think Microsoft has um, really shown the way by making some very bold acquisitions in the you know automation space. Uh, uh, in the uh, in various bits around the ER pace, you know, Supplari, you know, very interesting company that that we acquired uh, and mine it. So uh, I'm pretty happy here that the ecosystem we have is probably the most comprehensive one around. And I think for customers, that's a narrative they can really buy into. You know, mm-hmm. you, you if you want to uh, have a strong roadmap going forward. You want, you, you know, you want a vendor that is looking across all aspects of what you want and not just saying, well, I've got this bit and it might integrate with the bits around it. You want to make sure you've got those tight integrations across all those parts of that value chain from that soup course through starters, main course, you know, dessert and nuts. Yeah. And I think we're in a good position with that. Right. So it's adding that um, extra brick in the suite of software that they already offer, getting a more cohesive uh, kind of experience for the end user. 
Yeah, I think so. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, none of these systems work in, in isolation, and the tighter those systems are tied together, uh, and the more the more e- the easier it is for you to realize business value out of them. Mm. So, with the acquisition now, um, what does the future of mine at all? What are you excited about? Where do you think the industry is going next now with this um, added um, um, capital or resources uh, that Microsoft gives you? Um, what do you think is going to be the next big thing here? So, so for me, there are two things that really excite me. One is what I've just talked about, the ability to offer complete solutions to customers. You know, instead of saying, hey, we've got great process mining technology, the, the fact we can now deliver that, you know, embedded, you know, with process advisor that we've got, you know, with, with Power Automate, with Power BI, you know, people use Power BI across their whole businesses to give that visualization, that understanding of what's going on, us being able to, to integrate really tightly with that, hugely exciting. So that, that technical roadmap, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's absolutely mega. You know, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. The second thing is access to customers. Every company in the world, uh, pretty much, is a Microsoft <laughs> customer. And one of the, the hardest thing when you're a small vendor is um, it's, the, it's the Camden Town pet shop experience. Uh, and that won't mean anything to you. It won't mean anything no, no, to I, anyone. I, I, I live there. I live there. <laughs> <laughs> it, won't, it won't mean anything to, to anyone apart from from two people in their eighties, my parents, uh, when they were first when they were first together uh, back in the the late sixties, before I was born, uh, they went to a pet shop in Camden Town, and and they wanted to buy a cat, and they picked the cat that kind of you know every few seconds it would it would levitate over the top of the cage and kind of go wow you know and it would do the same thing and they finally took the cat that kind of jumped the highest and yelled the loudest, and and I think being a a small vendor. Uh, on up, you know, challenger, it, it can feel a bit like that. You're, you, you know, you've got great technology, you can give great outcomes for customers, but just trying to get noticed can be really hard. You know, yeah. and you spend all this time and effort and marketing budget. You know, you do trade shows, and you do, you, you know, above the line, you do below the line, you do brand, and you, you go all this stuff, and um, and that can be exhausting. And the I'm super confident in our technology. It works really well. We've got this great narrative. For me, the fact I now have access to all those customers, I can go and see these CIOs and, uh, and, and CFOs and educate them and say, hey, listen, this is what we can offer you. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting. I can cut out the kind of trudging through the sand trying to you know, get those meetings. I can go to the cool and interesting bit, which is helping customers which is giving them great technology to deliver great outcomes to them. And that, uh, th- that's, you know, that's fabulous. Right. So it's um, like trying to get your foot in the door before, but now you're in their living room. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty. We're in the living room, we're in the kitchen, <laughs> we're in the garage, you know, wherever. But it, it's, it's really, it, I, I think the, the best part of, of being, you know, an executive in the technology business is is delivering technology is actually seeing real world outcomes. You know, I remember the first time uh, we sold a deal when I was at Automation Anywhere. Um, we we did a deal with with Mesk, you know, the big shipping company, mm-hmm. and I was half a mile from my house and I was waiting at the level crossing, and a whole bunch of uh, train went past all these contains on and there was mask and i was like hey we're helping get that roll and get those containers and it was quite cool you know it's like we've actually delivered this real tangible and i'm seeing the containers on the train in front of me so i think delivering you know delivering real world benefit i think is a is a thrill it's genuinely one of the reasons why i i like doing what i do um working for microsoft gives me the ability to do that bigger faster wider to scale you know, what I can do there, what I and my team can do. Uh, and that's, that's, that's really exciting. Yeah, it does sound that you are very excited about what you're doing right now and where you are at. Um, James, where can people eventually find you, find out more about what you're doing or uh, where, would you, where, where would you send them? Uh, if you Google for, you know, uh, mine process mining, Microsoft, uh, we're easy to find. Uh, for me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, James Denning, D-E-N-I-N-G, spelt slightly differently from normal, but I'm on LinkedIn, uh, easy to get a hold of. I, I, don't, I don't hide my light under a bushel particularly. Awesome. And James, I have one last question because uh, unlike our listeners, I can see that you have a huge, huge library just behind you. Uh, what are you currently reading? Oh, good question. Well, um, I've just finished... 
the new Rivers of London book by Ben uh, Aranovich, which is very good. And I'm just about to start uh, reading uh, the first, rereading for, for about the fifth time, um, the First Law Trilogy by Joe Abercrombie. Uh, my reading tends to be to relax and switch off. Um, uh, so it tends to be slightly crappy science fiction and fantasy. Well, not slightly crappy, very good science fiction and fantasy. Sorry, Joe. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I think the Abercrombie, the, his first trilogy is one of the best things, I, and I've read an awful lot. Um, on the business side, I've actually got, uh, there's a great book called Legacy that uh, I've just finished. Um, it's the study of business from the point of view of, of the New Zealand All Blacks. Uh, rugby team. I, I've played rugby all my life. Uh, <laughs> one of my children plays rugby for for England. Still don't get tired of saying that. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, which is which is cool. Yeah, massive big bruiser. Uh, I mentioned her earlier. She's called Katie. Um, uh, the, the Legacy is 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 a great book. It's about how the All Blacks, who are the most successful elite team of all time, uh, where, you know, they win six out of seven matches they play against other elite compo- uh, uh, opponents. Right. Um, the next team, I think, is either Manchester United or Real Madrid. I think one of the American gridiron teams is, is up there as well. Mm-hmm. But they're at kind of 60%. The All Blacks are at 87%. And it's about humility. It's about um, uh, leaving the shirt... You, know, you you borrow the shirt and you leave that shirt in a better place uh, than when you, you you found it. And there's, I think, one of the first chapters is called Sweeping the Sheds. And at the end of every test match, and this includes World Cup finals, two of the senior players will take the uh, two brooms, two big brushes, and after everyone's left the change rooms, they will sweep out the change rooms, which will be full of you know grass and mud and bits of bandage yeah. and you know bottles and stuff. But they will sweep them out. And the point is, never forget that humility. So, so Legacy, um, uh, a brilliant book. I would thoroughly recommend it to to everybody. All right, James. Uh, very inspiring words. Uh, thank you very much for joining us in our podcast. It's been, I always say it's lovely, and I will just repeat it again. It's lovely to have you on. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, I wish you and uh, Mineit and now actually Microsoft to have as much success with the process mining and other technologies as possible. Thank you very much. All right. For the rest of you, dear listeners, thank you for listening and tuning in on Mining Your Business podcast. We are happy to have you. Um, you know, if you have any question, just feel free to reach out. We are very active on LinkedIn. You can also write us an email on miningyourbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. And if you have any questions, if you have some recommendations on who to invite next, just text us and we will be happy to serve you in this. So thank you very much. And uh, I'll be looking forward to hear from you again in two weeks. Bye-bye.